if you're tasked with doing any kind of outbound into technical roles, especially cybersecurity, you know that you definitely have your hands full because these are a group of folks that are teaching their employees not to open up emails from people that they don't know. So if you're prospecting or selling into cybersecurity, you're definitely going to love this episode. Before we dig in, thanks for checking out Outbound Squad. My name is Jason Bay. You can call me Jay Bay. And this podcast is for reps who want to turn complete strangers into paying customers. So if you're a BDR or SDR and you're doing a lot of cold outreach to get meetings, or maybe you're an account executive who is hopefully doing a good amount of prospecting, but also closing deals, you're definitely in the right place. Today's episode is with Alice Schaff. So Alice is global head of sales development at a company called Kiteworks. So they sell into cybersecurity roles. And we're going to dig into a couple of really cool things today. She actually cold emailed me or cold LinkedIn messaged me. I can't remember and uh, wanted to get on the podcast. So I, I usually always take those meetings if it's someone in the field like herself that's doing the work on a daily basis. And she's going to offer a perspective of what it's like to be the customer. And she got a lot of this information through really spending quite a bit of time with customer success, which I think is a great tip. If you're a rep, new or old, honestly, if you haven't spent much time speaking with customer success and figuring out like the value that clients are getting from the platform or from the service that you offer, that can be a really great way to get some intel. And the other thing that we're, of course, going to spend a lot of time on is her approach. So how they cold call how they ask questions. We actually go through specific examples of what that first 30, 60 seconds looks like, how to ask questions, all of that kind of stuff. She's also talks quite a bit about LinkedIn. That's a, a pretty successful approach for this type of persona. And she gives some examples of messaging and all kinds of stuff that are really actionable. So before you get to the interview, if you're listening on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, please subscribe leave the show an honest review. It helps us get in front of more folks exactly like yourself. And without further ado, let's get to the interview with Alice. So I'd say in doing some research on you, the, uh, which you reached out to me, I think, through a cold email or, or a LinkedIn message, which uh, which I thought was cool. <laughs> so uh, practice what you preach kind of thing. Um, but you came from Google, right? You were working in like what product management? Was that what you were doing before in Google? So yeah, tell us a little bit more about how, do, how does one make that transition from working in product at Google to, you know what, I'm going to get, uh, I'm going to start making some cold calls sending some cold emails, and then building a team of salespeople. How did that transition happen? Yeah, so it's actually, let, let's take it a, a step uh, backwards because I came to Google through a company that was acquired by Google and I stayed uh -huh. for two years. Um, yep. I was uh, hired by Kyle Coleman over there. Kyle Coleman yeah. was the first SDR at Looker. Looker Data yeah. was acquired by Google. Um, yeah. and he hired me for an SDR role and I started as an SDR at Looker when we had 250 mm -hmm. employees over there. I was put on inbound in the beginning because inbound was considered like a more advanced team. I don't know why after that they switched it, they, they put, yeah. um, outbound 
as the most advanced team. So I spent some time on outbound as well. Um, I was just calling a lot of people and was really excited about sales. Um, and then I was promoted to, uh, to become a renewals manager, which is mm-hmm. more into account man- management, basically. Um, negotiations and contracts and uh, renewing, renewing customers. So that was my role together with project management. And I did it under customer success as well as sales at yeah. Google for two years. Hmm. What... What perspective do you feel like that gave you that helps you with what you're doing today? The perspective of a customer that, um, like the other side, what happens after, after you're engaging them, after they go through the sales cycle, and then when you're renewing them year after year, like what's compelling for them to stay with you, right? So that's... uh, that's that's always interesting when you talk about value and, and which is what we're trying to do as SDRs. Yeah. I feel like it's the hardest thing to being an SDR is if you haven't if you haven't had those customer facing conversations or you have not sold the solution, you kind of don't know what happens after the first meeting. And it's really hard to like all of that context helps in setting the meeting. You know, I always say that, yep. you know, outbound and selling, they're, they're, they're different things, but one definitely helps the other, you know, for sure. So when you're thinking about, you know, other SDRs, let's say, that might be listening to this or other SDR leaders, how do you impart that knowledge on your team and give them some of that? Because people call that business acumen I, I, is really what I think that they're talking about when they say business acumen. It's just a better understanding of the customer. Yeah. How do you impart that knowledge on your team? Or if someone's listening to this and they're an SDR, how can they get a better idea of what it's like to be a customer? I think that the simplest way when you are already working is to meet up with those customer managers and uh, mm-hmm. director of customer success or like maybe do a session with them and and have like a regularly, con- regularly scheduled conversations with, with that team um, because that's that's going to really help. But something that I did um, with an SDR, our, our top SDR is actually in EMEA. She's been really successful with the uh, UK territory. And we, mm-hmm. we met with our director of uh, customer success to talk about the existing customers we have in the UK. And that was really compelling for our UK SDR to hear because she didn't know. Um, she wants to know the stories behind the customers like what's working what what are they inquiring about right so i would say that and also when you're hiring sdrs if you hire people from the service industry that's helpful because they already understand that perspective of um, customer service yeah so speaking with customer success I, i find that a lot of companies record whether through Gong or Chorus or whatever, they record a lot of the onboarding calls and customer-facing calls too. You know, that's like a freaking goldmine yeah. for an SDR to parse through, right? Yeah. Um, so definitely getting some of that knowledge for sure. Um, so if we kind of fast forward to uh, today, like you're, you're building a team. I think one of the big things that, there's a lot of places that we can go with this, but I think that in general, one of the most challenging personas to sell into that 
that reps oftentimes come to us for help with is cybersecurity. Yeah. And I think a lot of it is, let me know what you think. I think a lot of it is oftentimes the people that we speak with when we're prospecting and selling, we haven't done their job before. And there's a big difference between, oh, I haven't been ahead of marketing before versus I haven't been ahead of cybersecurity yeah. or a CISO or whatever. It feels like very, very different yes. from what people are normally used to and hard to kind of grasp. What are your, what are your thoughts? I think you're right. you hit the nail on the head um and also another reason why it's difficult is because people who are in cybersecurity are very mindful for their identity not to be exposed they're always hiding they don't want to get breached they don't want to get attacked um most of the attacks happen either on email Mm -hmm. like a lot of a lot of them on text um so i think when you're sending emails to that industry to that persona it's going to be tough so my recommendation and what i've seen that works for for me it's my second second uh, uh company in cybersecurity that, that i work for yeah. is the combination between calling over the phone and also mm-hmm. social selling that works the most um since they're not so happy about opening your emails um, so adding that extra touch on social media, if that person is even on social media, like a lot of them are not, and that makes it even more difficult. Um, but social media does work. A lot of the CISOs are outspoken. It's their job to, um, go and speak at conferences and they always, they always are excited about people engaging with their ideas. Like that's, that's the, usually like the role of, of a CISO is to lead the policy, lead the strategy. Um, so they're, they're on online. You can find them, you can find what they're talking about and you can latch onto that, add a comment, tag them, say, oh, do you really think like this is this? Or like, what would you, would you consider something else? And, you know, have a conversation even on their post. And their post. Yeah. Get to yeah. know the peers. So let's, I want to zoom into all of that there. Let's, yeah. if we step back a bit though, with security executives in general, you had mentioned that an important thing to understand is that these people oftentimes are telling their employees not to open up emails from unknown senders. So yeah. they're inherently skeptical of stuff that they get through emails. Um, is there any more that you can elaborate on around how these people think about stuff? So stuff that's, you know, do's and don'ts kinds of stuff. If you're a sales professional, how do these security executives kind of think and prioritize what they spend their time on? what they choose to click on, what they choose to open, all of that kind of stuff. So they probably don't like to open anything that's suspicious. And, yeah. and you know, part of part of the guidelines usually, and I had that conversation with our CISO, for example, mm-hmm. um, and they always tell us, don't click on anything that you don't know. Like be very mindful of, uh, of the text that you're receiving. If, if somebody's phishing, they're going to pretend they're, they're one of your colleagues. Uh, there's a lot of, a lot of ways to, to get into a company's um, database and information. And it happens a lot through uh, the human component because humans are um, 
emotional, right? So like yep. leveraging the human human component is usually hard when you're, uh, sorry, not that hard when you're uh, planning a breach. So that's how you can get into companies' details. Um, and that's why I think, you know, the best way is to just let them know that you're a vendor and by showing your face on social media, here's who yeah. I am, here's what I did. Um, like I, I, for example, um, I served in the, in the military. So for me, it's a bit easier to connect to these folks because most of them served in the army somehow are related to the military somehow. So they have more trust towards me. Yeah. Interesting. So is that something you mentioned in your outreach or is that something that's just, Hey, it's on my LinkedIn profile. If anyone looked at my LinkedIn, they would see that I was in the military, that kind of thing. Yeah. I mentioned that in my outreach because I don't advertise too much about that on my LinkedIn as a personal. Yeah. But yeah, you could definitely do it in a subtle way. You could do it over the phone. You know, some things are, are not good in writing. So then you'll do it over the phone, for example. And then there's a, it's a way to connect with them. So you always need to find a way to connect with the human being, right? Like, what are they like? What what do they like? Aside from security, you know, maybe they like football, maybe they like cricket, whatever, soccer, basketball. So let's, let's talk about that piece. So if we're thinking about the messaging and the what to say, whether that's phone, social, that sort of stuff, you mentioned finding a way to connect. So like if we were to use the phone as an example, um, like what, what, what are you guys finding working from a talk track standpoint? And like, how, how do you structure, like what's the research that takes place prior? How do you structure the phone call, all that kind of stuff? You know, it's amazing that you were asking me that because the stuff that I teach my team is exactly what you're posting on LinkedIn, which I love. (laughs) If you don't believe me, just go read it on on Jason Bay's book. And if you don't, if you don't trust, if you have like a second opinion to validate what I'm telling you. (laughs) So I really liked your script and that's exactly what I've been teaching and what I was Mm -hmm. taught in the past. Um, yeah. of like asking for a permission to speak for mm. 30 seconds and then you can hang up on me if it's not relevant, right? Like the permission-based um, yep. and then breaking it down to that part. And then once you got the permission, then instead of invasively t- asking them, oh, what are you doing about this? What are you doing about that? You know, they're not going to tell you. So just yeah, um, just using um, your examples of customers or examples of people that you're having conversations with and what you're learning, right? Like here are two things that usually CISOs are, um, are evaluating. Are you doing this or are you doing A or B? Or maybe you're working on a different project altogether. Yeah. Right? Um, so then, and then get, get, them, get them to respond to that and see where the conversation goes. Yeah. So permission-based opener, do you have 30 seconds for me to tell you the reason for my call? You can let me know if you want to keep chatting. Prospect says yes. And then you move into, I call it a priority drop. I've heard it called a bunch of different things, but essentially instead of one, asking a really invasive question, like you said, Hey, what kind of, you know, CISOs loved being asked, what kind of solutions are you using right now? (laughs) You know, (laughs) it's like, so, so, so don't ask like really nosy questions that, yeah. To a person that's already skeptical right. of you. 
And what I always say in sales is there are very few circumstances where you're coming into a prospecting interaction or even a sales call that someone's agreed to where you're not starting from behind the starting line. Like you're like you're starting from a place of skepticism. Yeah. So the priority drop is, you know, based on our work with you know, CISOs and companies like this, here's what we are hearing is yeah. a focus right now. And you're basically, what do you feel like you're accomplishing with that, by the way? Because I always like to think about the psychology for the prospect. When you open the call in that way, what do you think is going on for the prospect? Well, usually when you're calling somebody that you don't know, they want to know who you are, what do you want from them, and when they can get off the call. Yeah. Right? So building trust is going to be valuable. And I think the trust and credibility, especially in cybersecurity, because think about it, the, part of their job is to evaluate vendors. They want to yep. talk to vendors. However, they're probably getting hit by a lot of vendors. And also some of these vendors are not validated. Like they're startups, maybe they're, they're, um, um, their stuff is not solid yet. They don't have enough customers and they're just, you know, fishing for uh, feedback or opinion. And they did not have time for that. They're really busy. And also, yeah. um, it's it's hard to trust a, a new vendor in innovation in that space because uh, there are a lot of really large companies who are very good. And if a CISO can lose their job, if they trust somebody that's not good, right? Yeah. They trust the vendor that that their stuff is not valid, not validated. They don't have enough customers. That they haven't been around for a long time, or they're not backed by a solid VC. Who knows if they don't go away tomorrow? So yeah. their job is on the line, and and that's why um, it's important for them to know that you have customers. So showing your customers, especially in this space, in conversations with CISOs or whoever you're calling, um, we also call IT, IT and compliance yeah. people. Um, so just telling them, hey, we work with so and so, so that that makes us valid, trustworthy, yeah. social proof. It's huge. Yeah, yeah, especially if you've worked with similar types of companies that they would recognize for sure. Yeah. Um. So yeah, it's that trust piece. It's if I if I say we work with similar types of people like you, they're telling us, or they tend to be focused on these things. How does that align with what you're focused on? Yeah. Again, like I'm, de I'm demonstrating business acumen. I'm demonstrating that I understand their situation. Do you have an example, if you don't mind sharing, of like what you would say? Hey, if you're talking to a yeah. CISO, like what are the things that you would say that they're focused on, so people can hear an example? Yeah, I would say zero trust. Even though it's a buzzword, uh, you could, you could still drop it and say like, mm -hmm. I know a lot of CISOs are are uh, focused on implementing zero trust as well as NIST. Uh, NIST is a NIST, uh, NIST framework that's a part of the zero trust. It's also um, something that they focus on. And the other piece is complying with regulations by the government. So unless you are calling the government, if you're calling a commercial company, then you probably want to comply with regulations. Um, and that's a huge piece and and securing your data and um, all that stuff is another thing, right? That's top mm -hmm. of mind for them because it that by securing your data and your customer data, you are able to comply with regulations by the government. So, are you essentially digging in to see if there's like an existing project in place that they're that they're that they're working on? Yeah, 
Yeah, I think that's uh, that's always top of mind. But also, if it's a CISO or any C-suite person, we definitely want to just get them to see what we do. Yeah, like, it's just what's your opinion on this? Like we we would love to get because these people are they have a lot of experience. They have 20, 30 years of experience in in cybersecurity. Um, usually, yeah. and you want to come as a humble person. You don't want to come off as, I know what's best. You should listen to me. It's more about like, hey, uh, Mr. or Mrs. CISO, uh, would you be willing to look at what we've got? We are working with those names. Or if, if you're not working with anyone that just would love your opinion, can you give me um, 15 minutes of your time to, to show you what we've got? And then... You know, we'd love your expertise. Yeah. So it's, hey, we're speaking with CISOs. Big thing that we're hearing right now is focus on zero trust. They're implementing maybe NIST framework, compliance with government regulations, and, and really just figuring out ways to secure their data. You know, how does that compare to what you're working on? And your hope on yeah. that something there is, okay, cool. Yeah, we're working on, yeah, we definitely have a big zero trust initiative. What, uh, what kind of happens next after that? Where does the conversation usually tend to go? Do you go straight in for a meeting at that point? Do you ask a couple questions? What uh, What are you having your reps do? Well, I definitely want to make them talk more than I talk, but it's about mm-hmm. asking the right questions. So um, acknowledging what they said, whatever they they respond, you know, the response is going to matter. So you always you always have to tie it to their response. You can't just like start carving a path for for selling your product because you're selling the meeting. You're not selling the product and you're interrupting them in the middle. So once you build trust, once you got a permission to give a little spiel what you do um, and tie it to their project, right? Like like you got them to say something about what they're doing. Then then you say, oh, that's great because we're seeing um, that, you know, I'm glad you're working on that because we actually have this and this customer who are also working on similar stuff and we'd love to share best practices with you and see where you're at. Um, how about we schedule a 15 minute next Friday or Wednesday at two, right? Yeah, you so gotta have a small conversation. You don't need to have a 20 minute conversation. It's more about like a five minute conversation. Yeah. And is that with the SDR or is that with the account executive, that next conversation? If, if they accept, the next conversation is going to be with, uh, with the sales rep. Yes. Got it. And that's going to be a discovery. So our SDRs are not there in their journey in, uh, yeah. in doing discovery. And they also get paid for meetings. So yeah. that's a meeting. A, a yeah. Meeting with a CISO is always a meeting. Yeah. It's always. No, absolutely. Yeah. So the offer is essentially to bear, uh, share best practices and insights. So there's like a reason for that person to hop on the call outside of just learning about a product, right? Yeah, 100%. Um, what do the AEs talk about in that first 15 minutes? Do they actually share insights at all? Or is it mostly discovery? Because that's always the concern that, that people have is, well, hey, if I make the reason for the meeting that we're going to share some stuff with them, and then they hop on a call with an account executive and you know, basically just get qualified the entire time. I'm not delivering on that promise. Like what does, what does, what would a CISO take away from that, that first 15 minute call? Yeah, I think, um, since we are focused on enterprise, our Mm -hmm. SDR team is booking meetings for enterprise, 
uh, and the AE is a director of sales it's for that yeah. level. Like our folks are have 15 years experience in selling yeah. cybersecurity to enterprise companies. Yeah. So I think it's uh, slightly different for us, but yeah. uh, they're, they're definitely, you know, um, listen, more listen than, um, than pitch. That's the first, uh, first conversation because yeah. you're building the relationship. Um, and then you do discovery, you find out if there is a project and if not, then you share what we're doing and see if there's interest to schedule a demo. And then you schedule a date, the salesperson schedules a demo and the SDR is not involved in that part. So how do you guys approach, uh, LinkedIn? So we talked about phone. We talked about how email is not necessarily the best channel for these folks, which is definitely aligns with my experience working with these reps. How do you, how do you guys think about LinkedIn and social selling and all that good stuff. Yeah. So I think the first step is to, if you have customers, follow your for, follow the C-suite of your customers. That's going to help you find similar companies to those and find their peers. Um, a lot of our customers don't like sh- to share that they're working with us because they don't want to get, um, they don't want to expose us. They don't want to expose themselves to breaches and attacks. So um, if you if you connect with your customers and, and just be mindful that you don't want to always call out that they're using your solutions out loud, um, got to do it in a subtle way over a DM or um, not not on their posts, probably. So um, that's the first step. And then also fo- see who, who likes their posts who are commenting and find their friends because these people will know that they're using your solution. Um, all of these C-cells have groups they go to and they talk to each other and they get recommendations. I do the same way when I'm about to sign with a vendor. I go to my friends who are also leaders in, in SDR and sales and I ask them, hey, would you recommend that? What's your experience? Like, I don't just go... Mm-hmm. Um, and, and do a new relationship with, with um, cause I can get the opinion. Um, and these people, they have 20 years of experience and so they have friends for 20 years and they're definitely talking to their friends. So I would, I would get in network and build it up. Um, if, if you don't, if you're working for a startup and you don't have customers that validated your solution, then your, uh, your situation is a bit different. You're going to ask for feedback rather than um, to, to get a meeting to show um, your customers and, and use cases. Like it's, it's going to be more about on LinkedIn, you're going to engage with their material. And then on DM, you're going to ask for feedback as opposed to a success story or validation. Gotcha. So if we, if we do that first step, how does that, how do the logistics work of, following the customers is that uh like do you guys give the reps a big list of all of the customers do they find it in salesforce like how do they get how do they know the the master customer list and then how are they following is it literally following them or do they send connect requests like what are the kind of tactical parts there yeah we do have a list in salesforce um according to a territory so each sdr Mm. is supposed to know the customers in their territory and also the large ones for us in general in each industry um because we're servicing 
the government. Uh, so finance, also manufacturing, legal, like those are the big industries that we have customers in, um, mm -hmm. as well as retail, for example, and universities, education. So, um, so I think that's uh, really good to break it down according to that and just know a couple of success stories and know a couple of uh, um, customers and add them as a connection. I wouldn't recommend just following because it's not enough. But if they did not accept your connect, then just uh, follow them. Yeah. So do you send a connection request? It's like, uh, hey, thanks for being a you know, so-and-so customer. Uh, would be great to connect and follow your work. Is it something pretty simple like that? Yeah, it could be. Um, but I, I just say, hi, nice to meet you. I'd love to stay in touch and they connect with me. That's me. Maybe yeah. our SDRs need to work a bit harder um, mm. since they're just starting out. So I would recommend that anyone that's starting out as an SDR, um, that they would research that person and ask a question that's compelling about their career yeah. instead of just connecting, even though it's a yeah. customer. Mm, okay. So connect to the existing customer base, research, and it sounds like you're a fan of making sure there's a personalized note yeah. in the connection request. Yeah, it's huge. Yeah. And do you want to explain the reason for that? Because there's a lot of content, if anyone follows stuff on LinkedIn, that there's a lot of people have a preference to not put a uh, message in the connection request. Do you I want know. to explain why you guys uh, why you guys customize it? Yes, uh, because of cybersecurity space. As people yeah. don't want to uh, stranger danger, that's us. That's yeah. cybersecurity. Um, literally, don't want to connect with strangers because a stranger could be a fake profile. It could be a fake person. It could be posing as a, an attacker. Um, so nobody wants to expose themselves, not on LinkedIn and not in real life. Yeah. So that's why you got to write a little bit about who you are. I mean, I, I would keep it to the other person at first and then find commonality. Like, for example, what I said about the, the army, right? So when I connect with these army folks, I usually just say, like, I noticed you spent 20 years in the Navy. I was in the army as well. Can we stay in touch? And that works. I can't tell you I have 100 success, 100 percent success yeah. with that, but that works a lot. Uh, we recently had a meeting with uh, uh, chief architect um, at a large company just because the fact that I told him that I was uh, in the army and he wanted to help uh, folks who served. That that was yeah. his thing. It's interesting. So. Just leveraging a like personal connection that you have yeah. to someone like that is can be really, really big. So just to give people a visual that are listening to this. So when they follow, when your reps follow all of their customers, is this like a dozen customers? Is it a couple dozen? Is it hundreds? Like how many people are they reaching out to, to connect with that are existing customers? What does that look like? Uh, probably not every existing customer, but the big ones mm. who are worth it. Yeah. The big ones and the ones that are not churning. Yeah. I mean, luckily, what is ours that? are not churning. But, uh. <laughs> yeah. How many would it, an individual rep, just roughly, how many of these types of people are they connecting with? Um, I, don't, I don't think that we actually tell them connect with 10 customers. It's just more of 
more of a guidance of connect with the large yeah. ones in your region, whoever um, you think that in, in each industry, you know, connect with the retail one, connect with the uh, one in the government, one for finance, uh, healthcare, yeah. that kind of thing. So I wouldn't say like go connect with all the thousands of customers that we have. Yeah. Right? So yeah, because where I was going with this is that you said find their friends is kind of the second part to that. Because it sounds like a big part of the strategy is that I would have to be connected with enough customers in order to basically find mutual connections that they have with other, like within my existing accounts. Yeah. yeah. Right. So there has to be a certain amount of volume, I would assume, of people you're connected with in order for that exercise. Because that that's, it sounds like is the backbone of the approach is let's have customers that we're connected with and let's find people that they're connected with so that when we reach out, we can say, saw that you're connected with insert mutual connection. That's a customer would love to connect. Yeah. Um, I think that that's definitely part of the approach. I have mm -hmm. not put a number on that and maybe that's, that's a good, yeah. good feedback for me. I'm still learning as well. So I think if we can, yeah. we can make that into uh, a real, real life, uh, um, uh, you know, like experience where we're testing how many yeah. does it take to get a meeting. But we're also connecting with people that we don't know that are part yeah. of our uh, ABM accounts. ABM accounts are yeah. usually accounts that were nominated by the salespeople that are worth our time. And the mm -hmm. marketing team spends dollars towards those accounts that to expose them to content on ads and LinkedIn ads. Yeah. And that's tied to our marketing approach. So, so connecting with folks within the ABM or within the accounts that the sales rep nominated as good accounts to, to get into, that's another thing that, that I would recommend, you know, that's the usual, yeah. the usual like development of outbound when you have a list and you go after the ones that are worthwhile. But um, my approach is to find similar customers to our customers. Yeah, no, definitely. And for people that you don't have a connection with, what does the LinkedIn message usually sound like? Um, usually I would tie it to them. I would start with their, if I can find hobbies, if, I, if they're following mm -hmm. a certain um, team on sports team or something that I would tie it to that, I would mention something I saw on their profile that's compelling, like, oh, I noticed you, you were in retail and now you're suddenly in finance. How did that happen? Like maybe ask a question about their career progression um, yeah. and, and make it about them. And then I'm curious, I'd love to connect with you to learn more because I don't have 20 years of experience in cybersecurity. So it's always about learning more from your, um, from, from, yeah. from other people. Got it. And then how does the, once you guys connect on LinkedIn, is there any kind of framework or approach or steps from going from that connection to asking for a meeting or does that happen pretty quickly? Yeah. So, so my approach is, is pretty assertive with that because mm -hmm. I know that there are a lot of people who would say, Hey, just keep it casual for a few weeks and then, um, and then ask for it. But I just usually, I would, uh, I would present our situation and our customers in the second, mm. um, second message that I send and then ask them if we can 
we can uh, talk more. If that sounds interesting, like keep it open. You know, does that sound interesting? Would you like to hear more about that? Um, yeah. Usually they don't respond on the second message. Some don't. Maybe it could take another month, but then I would keep messaging them every week. Um, that's what I teach my team to do. And I'm yeah. also, um, I also like to do it myself, even though I'm a, a leader and a head of a, a global department and I have seven employees, I still do the work. I still go yeah. on LinkedIn and I still add CISOs and C-suite people and I still research um, because I want to test out our approach. I want to see what's working and what's not working. And yeah. that allows me to teach my team in a better way uh, mm-hmm. as opposed to somebody that just supervises and, and does the operational stuff. Gotcha. Did that answer your what? question? Or was it a, a lot of, a, a lot of yeah. other stuff? Yeah, so it's I send a personalized connection request and then I ask pretty quickly. I make a make the I make my intent pretty clear about why yeah. I'm connecting with people, which I think is a good best practice. Um and then you mentioned that you'll follow up with people if they don't if you don't hear back. How do you think about follow up and what kind of examples of stuff would you follow up with? Let's say if you go in and ask for interest and the person doesn't respond, how do you follow up? So, um, in terms of, in terms of the messages, if we are already connected and they didn't respond. Yeah. So we connect, they accept the connection request. I say, Hey Alice, yeah, you know, we're helping other people like you with X, Y, and Z. Would you be interested in learning more? The person doesn't respond. Yeah. How, uh, how do you approach? Yeah. Yeah. How do you approach the follow-up? Then um, usually I would find something relevant that they're doing. Like, what are they? What are their activities on LinkedIn? What are they doing? Mm-hmm. Are they maybe traveling and they're speaking at some kind of conference? So I could tie it to that, or maybe yeah. I can read the blog they wrote, or maybe I can read something that their CEO is is posting. Are they hiring? Right, like you can find out a lot from the from um, their activity on LinkedIn. And some folks are not as active, but if they are, you definitely need to latch onto that. Like that's going to mm-hmm. be important. Before you talk about your solution, um, you got to talk about what they're doing. And then after that, when you build that, that relationship and that trust, then come the ask to spend some time together. And then if, if they don't respond, then I would send a video of myself saying yeah. the same thing like hey we are working with so and so i really think that um that you know we, we have some really cool stuff to share and we'd love to get yeah. your opinion on that and um it looks like you're working on a similar thing or if you're hiring then tie it to, to their situation how do and you keep messaging them yeah even if how... you don't respond <laughs> yeah how do you how do you think about the um, situation in which, which I feel like is a lot of the time, if they don't have really any information um, on LinkedIn, what kind of stuff are you reaching out to them about if there's not a lot of stuff on LinkedIn? Are you looking for stuff that their company might be doing or initiatives around their company, anything like that? Yeah, I think it's a good question for you as well. Um, if you want to answer that after me, but, uh, but yeah, definitely there are a lot of folks who are not, not social animals. And usually those, 
IT, security, compliance people, they're not as social. So sometimes, they, especially yeah. IT, like they don't post, they don't share, they don't do anything. So then, yeah, you could go um, to to their company and like see what the company is doing and what are the the industry like what's mm-hmm. for example banks right now right like regional banks are tough but if you go to the large banks that's going to be a bit easier and some of our meetings are with banks and we have customers in banking um, and it's a hard time right now for banking so you got to acknowledge yeah. that right like say like i know it's a hard time but um how is it for you like what is your experience Right? Like yeah. ask them about what's going on in the industry, what's going on in, in specifically in where they live, perhaps like maybe they live in an interesting area, um, local news, stuff like that. Just try to, to go there. Yeah. What would no, you definitely. Do? I, if the person is pretty senior, I like to talk about company stuff. So like if it's a CISO, what, what I would be thinking about is have they recently rolled out any new products? Is there anything like new in terms of growth, customer segments? And I think of, you know, if we're launching new stuff, there's a security aspect to that. If we're launching into new verticals or new countries or whatever it might be, there's probably some sort of connection there that you can make. It's, it's more of a stretch, though, than finding a personal connection with someone for sure. But yeah, I always think about like on the deals that get closed at this company, what are the, what, what were the things if you were looking back at that account that you could like reverse engineer and say, Hey, there were some indicators that if we were doing research on them, here's some of the stuff that we found. Yeah. Like they're hiring on their team. They had a security breach or, or whatever, you know, the stuff yeah. is for CISOs. Um, cool. Any, um, anything else that you feel like when you're thinking best practices, tips, anything like that for people that are selling or prospecting to cybersecurity, anything else that you would share that we haven't talked yeah. about? I think staying organized in, in a very mm-hmm. uh, intentional way where you're even um, watching your calendar like a hawk. Like if somebody yeah. puts something on your calendar, ask your manager, do I need to be in that meeting? Like sometimes there are meetings that you don't need to be at and you can, can yeah. focus on phone calls and and doing the stuff that you need to to be doing and not losing your focus so so own your calendar that's something that um kyle taught us kyle coleman um i've mentioned Mm -hmm. him before um i really miss him so (laughs) anyway he's in colorado right now um and he really he really taught me how to own my calendar of like he he would go and he would block his calendar and just you know right now i'm doing this assignment. So right now I'm only called calling for two hours, no interruptions, only calling in the afternoon. I'm yep. going to do my emails and the LinkedIn and adding prospecting new people. Yep. No, totally. Yeah. I think that knowing how to manage up and say no is uh, is an incredibly useful skill for reps. Um, this is great. We got to take off here. Where, uh, where can people go to connect with you, learn a little bit more about KiteWorks, all that kind of stuff. Um, we have a very active uh, LinkedIn page, um, myself yeah. that's unrelated to only KiteWorks, but also KiteWorks, uh, uh, they have a page and they also have a podcast. It's called KiteCast, um, which is very interesting meeting our chief uh, marketing officer, who is my boss, uh, 
Tim uh, Freestone. He's meeting with folks from the industry and you can learn a lot from listening to, to those conversations on a podcast. Um, so yeah, also our website.